0: You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows
2: podcast with George Galloway. I'll be talking, you about the extremities of the weather map in the world today. It is now undeniable that something big is happening with climate here on planet Earth. The heat map of the world, in the 1970s is incomparable to the heat map of the world in uh, 2019, another boiling hot summer. Uh, The flooding in China, in Germany, in Belgium, was so extreme that one had to rub one's eyes in order to believe them. Germany, one of the most developed and well-organized countries in the world, had people and things being swept down the highways. So extreme was the flooding there. Belgium, not quite so well organized, suffered even more badly. And as I told you, London is flooding right at this moment. I never felt more silly wearing a straw hat when I see people with umbrellas blown inside out as torrential rain Thunder and lightning strikes the capital uh, of the United Kingdom. We'll be talking uh, to a very considerable expert about that. The editor of this show decided to cover the issue of climate change. And we booked one of the world's experts on it, Matthew Capucci. And London has fallen uh, to the wave after wave after wave of rainwater. Absolutely extraordinary scenes that you saw, I think on the news and just before the news uh, that uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to get out of this studio tonight. If that was outside here, I think I'd be bedding down here in the studio for the night. I certainly don't fancy swimming back to my hotel. So we chose a good day to talk to Matthew Capucci, who's an atmospheric scientist and meteorologist. It's going to be, I think, a busy profession in the next year or two. He's been kind enough uh, to join us now. Matthew, uh, thank you for that. Uh, Perfect timing. Uh, Tell us what's going on in the weather. By the way, I left Scotland uh, at midday And it was baking hot, hence my straw hat. Uh, And now I find myself in the deluge. Let's give... Here's a video. Look, we've been monitoring all this flash flooding in London tonight. Here's another extraordinary video we found on Twitter. It was taken by Thurie Bjork around 5 p.m. It's a water spout, a storm drain, seemingly exploding under the pressure of the water it's another thing wrong with hammersmith bridge will we ever be able to use that bridge it is actually extraordinary anyway we've uh, linked up with matthew uh matthew capucci is uh, a world renowned atmospheric scientist and meteorologist and he's given us his time entirely for free matthew i don't know if you knew it was entirely for free but it is thank you very much for joining us. Uh, What's going on in Britain right now?
1: Yeah, so at the moment you have a bit of a low pressure system off to your northeast, but as is oftentimes the case, when you get these lows, they're kind of these big swirls in the atmosphere, almost like atmospheric cinnamon buns, so to speak. And so you can have alternating tendrils of warm, moist air and cooler, drier air that are being swirled together. And that's why the weather today has been so erratic in places. you got kind of a big feeder band of moisture riding northwards, contributing to these heavy downpours, the cold air that's falling on the backside, helping to kick that really unstable air upwards and generate prolific downpours. And because this low isn't moving all that fast, the rain can kind of backbuild and stall and you get round after round of it. So unfortunately, this rainfall looks to stay around for much of the evening hours into the overnight. And it doesn't look like there's too much relief in sight for at least a little while. Tomorrow should be better. For the time being, it's a pretty unsettled day.
2: It's uh, part of a series, though, isn't it, of extraordinary weather events in Europe, and in Asia. uh, We saw extraordinary flooding in China. Uh, We've seen things that we never thought we'd see in a highly developed country like Germany, where uh, streets are being uh, basically flushed away, cars and people being flushed down the road. Is that the same explanation for them?
1: So I think what we saw recently in Central Europe was more attributed to a combination of ordinary weather and then kind of a turbo boost by climate change so what we saw was a cutoff low this low pressure system that was kind of pinched off from the jet stream and so as a result there's nothing to carry it from west to east it just kind of sat and languished and unloaded moisture now one of the things that we see with climate change is that it has potential to take ordinary weather events and push them to more significant levels and so the warmer the world is the warmer the atmosphere is, the more moisture it can hold, and that contributes to these heavy downpours. And so you take a system that would have had heavy rainfall to begin with and add in a bit of extra moisture and cause it to stall for a while, and suddenly this... Ordinarily, you know, decent event becomes something really significant with an even higher impact, and so I think that's what we saw the past couple of weeks. We saw that in Europe, we saw that in Asia as well. Zhengzhou suffered serious flooding with more than about uh, a meter of rainfall in just one day's time. They had two hundred millimeters in just an hour, and so they saw extreme flooding as well. I think that what we're seeing now is kind of the fingerprint of climate change being tacked on to ordinary events, pushing things into the extraordinary.
2: Yeah, I mean. In your scientific field, is it fair to say that there is now zero doubt that we are experiencing significant climate change? Uh, We could argue about what caused it. We could argue about what we need to do about it, and many people would, the dichotomy of green versus growth and so on. But that there is extraordinary climate change going on, is no longer capable of rebuttal. Am I right?
1: You're exactly right there. We have so many attribution studies that look at particular weather events that say this simply would have would not have happened without climate change. Most recently in the United States, we had in the northwestern part of the U.S. and southwestern Canada, so British Columbia, where temperatures hit 50 degrees Celsius, which is absolutely unheard of for Canada. One town light in British Columbia had three days where back to back to back, they broke the Canadian national record temperature. And you know what happened on the fourth day? The entire town burnt down from extreme wildfires that were catalyzed by the warm, dry conditions. And so we're seeing events like this that were made 150 times more likely thanks to climate change. We're seeing other things that simply wouldn't happen without climate change. And so, yes, we're used to ordinary weather and climate, but when you have kind of this preferential push by climate change, suddenly things that in the past would have been ordinary are being boosted and, and made much more extreme. And the unfortunate reality is we're kind of past that point where, where you know, we can kind of reverse. At this point it's not a matter of whether or not we change our ways, it's a matter of whether or not we can slow down the rate at which the atmosphere is changing, slow down the rate at which the system is changing. And, and to that end, I, I think it's, it's important that people remember We're not trying to avoid climate change at this point. Like, it's happening, it's ongoing right now. We're trying to change faster than our environment. We're trying to evolve more quickly than the conditions can. And in many areas, given the infrastructure, that's an extreme challenge.
2: Yeah, an extreme challenge everywhere uh, in the world. There have been, of course, extreme climate changes before. We've had an ice age. We've had uh, times when you grew... Uh, grapes and made wine uh, along Hadrian's Wall uh, in in the north of England, the south of Scotland. Um, So we have had and survived climate changes before. To what extent are you worried about how dramatic this climate change period is going to be?
1: I think that's a really good question and it's one that we'd have to answer on a very local level because there will be winners of climate change and there will be disproportionately more losers. The issue is that our infrastructure is built to withstand 100-year events for the most part. We know that if there's going to be a flood, for example, we should plan for kind of the worst case scenario we get in 100 years. Now unfortunately, one of the challenges now, what once in the past would have been a 100-year event might now be a 10, a 20-year event. So the recurrence intervals with which these events are occurring. Is, is becoming much narrower. We're seeing these sorts of extreme events more and over a wider area. At the same time too, we're having kind of climate regions shift. So in the United States, for example, Boston, a city in the Northern part, will in about 40, 50 years, perhaps see the weather that Washington DC will. And that's a completely different type of environment. And so the infrastructure that we've really set up for and, and based our planning around in terms of the conditions is going to have to be adjusted to accommodate that and so i think going forward i'm not necessarily worried about the survival of the species i mean you see a lot of headlines like that that's mostly clickbait what i am worried about is our infrastructure and if we've planned adequately for what we need to based on what's coming we've built fine for what's happened in the past but we're to the point now where conditions are changing quickly enough that the past is not an accurate indicator of the future and so we can't We can't really prepare based on what we've seen before. We have to prepare on what's coming up next.
2: So you're not, and I'm not, uh, a catastrophist uh, who believes that we're hurtling towards the demise uh, of the species, of the planet. Uh...
1: Planning
0: for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting
1: essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,
2: But what do you think is the overarching reason uh, for the heating up? I mean, I talked earlier about the the heat map in the 1970s, which had some very hot summers. Uh, But compared to the heat map of the last couple of years, one map is vividly red and the other not except for a few places uh, that you would kind of imagine would be extremely red. Um, Is that where we're headed, are we headed for a hotter world?
1: I think so. And we have to remember that in the past, you're exactly right, we have had climate changes before. They were more natural in nature. You go back, you know, hundreds of thousands to millions of years, we had what was called kind of a hothouse earth. And so we had temperatures that were mild. We had tropical plants all the way up to about 80 degrees north there were rainforests in many more areas, but conversely, we've also had ice ages. So the climate does change in various cycles. We call these Milankovitch cycles. They're based on the periodicity of Earth's orbit. They're based on the shape of Earth's orbit. They're based on Earth's axial tilt, and a bunch of things that sometimes combine or overlap in certain ways that allow us to get more sunshine or less sunshine. And so that's something that's been happening pretty much since the dawn of time, and it will continue. The thing there though, the changes that they see Occur in the order of thousands to tens of thousands of years. What we're doing is accelerating our climate on the timescale of tens to maybe hundreds of years. And so the rapidity with which it's occurring is something that has been, for the most part, unprecedented before. And so I think that's really what's remarkable about this. And in the past, we've never had infrastructure. You know, the humankind hasn't really been around long enough in terms of our current societal infrastructure to experience any of these changes before, which I, I think is important to remember. In terms of just how red will get, we're, we're undergoing something called positive feedback mechanisms. In other words, Earth is sitting in kind of an unstable state. Earth, Earth's thermostat has always been very delicate in that if you nudge it one way or another, it will kind of take off and have a snowball effect. And so if you start heating the Earth through greenhouse gases, for example, you start awakening other mechanisms. For example, the polar ice caps, they start melting. But the polar ice caps are white, they're shiny, they reflect a lot of light into outer space. And so if you have those ice caps melt, suddenly you're not reflecting so much sunlight away and the Earth is taking in more sunlight and heating up even more. Or you're cooking up more water vapor into the atmosphere that traps heat even more effectively. Or you're melting Arctic permafrost, which is releasing greenhouse gases, and those accelerate the climate change even more. Or you're sparking more wildfires. They release greenhouse gases, and you get these positive feedback mechanisms. And so I think to that end, our climate models may not be overly accurate in terms of the pace of climate change. We know it's ongoing, we know it's occurring, but there's a good chance, based on recent events and based on these feedback mechanisms, that we may be accelerating even more quickly than we had thought in the past, and I think that's the key takeaway of this. Yes, there have been climate changes before. They were natural. They occurred on the order of tens of thousands of years sometimes. What we're doing is unnatural, it's anthropogenic, it's man-made and on the order of tens to perhaps hundreds of years.
2: And beyond uh, laying in some umbrellas for this week in London, uh, what can we realistically do about that, Matthew?
1: I I think the biggest thing is, is twofold. We can plan for what's ahead in terms of changing our infrastructure. So drainage issues, relocating a little farther inland from the coast making sure that people have the infrastructure for air conditioning. For example, Europe is extremely susceptible to heat events, and in Central and Eastern Europe not many people have air conditioning at all, and so you can easily have tens of thousands of people die from a single heat wave. It's happened before many times. It just doesn't really get the media attention because the deaths, unfortunately, are, are what we call scavenging or harvesting, and that the people who may have had underlying conditions, they might be the elderly, vulnerable populations. Who may have been more susceptible anyway, suddenly you're kind of nudging them, in, kind of pushing them over the edge, and, and they unfortunately pass away from it. But it doesn't really capture the media attention it should, so that's an enormous issue. But we should start planning for things like that. We need to have more air conditioners out there. We need to make sure people know what to do. We, Like I said, better drainage. We need to make sure we're aware of the potential for flood events. Agriculture. We need to start planting crops that are, I, I guess, more resilient for the conditions that we can expect in the future. And at the same time, we really just need to make sure people are educated on the effects at the local level, because what happens in the United States, for example, will be different from what we see in the UK, will be different from what we see in Asia. It's really how climate change is affecting folks on a local level. Now, that's one aspect of it. We need to really adapt and, and mitigate, for the most part, and try to plan accordingly. The other thing we can do is, of course, taking steps to limit future warming. That said, that's something a lot of people don't really feel the urgency to do because it's not going to correct the problem overnight and it very well may not even in our lifetimes. This is something we're talking about four, five, six generations in the future that will see the effects of what we're doing now. And so even if we stopped all emission of greenhouse gases today, we could expect the earth to continue warming for perhaps 50, 100 more years, thanks to ocean outgassing, thanks to everything we put up in the atmosphere now, thanks to the long half-lives of these molecules, which it is unfortunate but it really requires kind of playing the long game and paying it forward. We can make differences, but it's going to affect the next generation. For us, it's almost too little, too late.
2: Really well explained, Matthew. I've got a call, a good one, I'm told. Uh, if you wouldn't mind staying on, sure. Mike in South Carolina. Mike, welcome. What would you like to? Hey, George. What would you like to ask, Matthew?
0: Hey, Jordan Matthew. It's great to talk to you. I, I, I didn't want to address this idea of climate change and how I think it actually is an existential threat uh, to human existence. I mean, we talk about the changing climate and how it's been changing, but you know, uh, humans have never been on this planet, uh, as we know them, you know, Homo sapiens, since it's been this hot, never has it been this hot since humans have been on the planet. And not only that, but the, the future holds way more increases in temperature for us than, uh, than what we're seeing right now. I mean, we're going to blow by this 2-degree centigrade mark like it's, like it's standing still. And, and we're probably on our way to more like 4 or 5 centigrade. And, and there's a number of people out there that you can get in touch with, watch on, on, uh, uh, you know, on the uh, Internet. People like Guy McPherson, who you know, I understand that some people think he's a doomsday person, but you also listen to people like Paul Beckwith. Who is studying the, the uh, uh, climate on the uh, in the Arctic, and it's, it's it's stunning how fast we are moving towards an ice-free Arctic. And if that happens, uh, you know th- th- this planet is, is is really in serious trouble because that is the refrigerator for the planet.
2: Uh, Matthew, uh, some advice for you there to do some studying on the internet. Uh, you are, of course, an extremely learned man. Uh, what would your response be? Uh, To Mike in South Carolina.
1: Well, Mike, thanks again so much for tuning in. I think you raised some really good points, and and I think that you hit the nail on the head when you talked about these thresholds out there. Uh, I will say that, in terms of the actual thresholds, we've heard the number two degrees Celsius floating around many times. We see it in the media a lot. And I, I almost think that number does us a bit of a disservice in that we so often see this number floated around, but there's no magic threshold. It's not a, a yes or no binary switch on off. It's something that the more we delay our, our actions and our response, the more quickly climate change will accelerate. And that's what we're seeing right now. now. In terms of the actual temperatures, part of my job as a meteorologist is communicating weather events and weather events in the context of climate change to people. And I always tell folks, you know, most people don't give a darn about a two degree increase. If I were to put you in a neighboring room of your house with the temperature a degree or two warmer, there's a strong chance you wouldn't notice that. And so I think the focus is oftentimes too much on the actual temperature and not on these collateral effects. The fact that a two degree increase in temperature might correspond to 12 to 15% more water in the air and more significant rainfall events. The, the fact that a two degree Celsius increase may cause a, a change in where we see tornado activity or more may cause more rapid intensification of tropical cyclones. Now, I don't see this as an existential threat. I'll, I'll be very clear. There will be populations that are displaced. There will be people who have to make mass exoduses to, to relocate to different areas. There may be some areas that in terms of how they're currently inhabited may no longer be feasible to be that way i mean phoenix arizona what we're talking about a city that will routinely be over 120 degrees fahrenheit by you know 20 40 2050 and california the wildfires they're seeing out there are devastating and that's something we can expect to see more of in the future and so there are areas that the infrastructure will have to change so it could be an existential threat if action wasn't to be you know, taken. I, I do think that there are steps people can take to make sure they're in a better position both geographically and in terms of vulnerability than they are currently. And I think that really depends on what their hazards are, whether they're susceptible to the climate-catalyzed hurricanes, the wildfires, the change in tornado frequency over the lower 48, the, the change in, in heat patterns across Europe. So ultimately it, it's down to a local level. The warming itself, the, the Arctic. I mean, I'm not in the Arctic right now, most people don't go up to the Arctic, they, they really don't give a darn about that. But that's what we see in the media so often, so I think we need to shift the conversation from these, you know, the, the polar bears are, are having to swim, to more of how is climate change affecting my geographic region in terms of the specific hazards that I deal with, and how can I adapt accordingly. And
2: do we have in place, Matthew, uh, governments in your country and mine that are fully enough seized of this? In my
1: opinion, I would say not in the way they should be. We still in the United States, for example, we have a flood insurance program that insures homes that are built right on the water. Now I, I, and I got some backlash with this comment before, I don't think it's overly controversial. If your house is on stilts, then you're too close to the water. And yet we have people who build right on the beach in the United States, we have people who build in flood zones, and, and people are, are willing to kind of take that loss if they have high insurance premiums, and that's, that's just one example of, of an issue that we faced. Or Houston, the entire city of Houston, for example, floods incessantly, infrastructure cannot handle the amount of rainfall they're seeing now, and I, I loathe to think about what it will be like in 30, 40, 50 years as Gulf of Mexico rainfall continues to, to you know, become more prolific or near the coast, we're seeing a, a dramatic uptick in the propensity for hurricanes to rapidly intensify before becoming before moving ashore. And I don't think people near the coastline, especially in the Southern United States, are building homes the way that they should to be more resilient to these storms. And, and so ultimately, I think historically in the United States anyway, and I can't speak for the UK, but I know in the United States, the attitude has always been well, somebody's going to be struck by a natural disaster, it's cheaper to rebuild than cheaper to to build resiliently. In the future, with these natural disasters becoming more common and and with a wider footprint, that may no longer be the case. And so we may have to have a shift in strategy as to how we plan our communities.
2: FASCINATING. Thank you, Mike and Carolina. And thank you, Matthew Capucci, for brilliantly explaining uh, the phenomenon that we are now living through. the latest forecast here is that i'm going to get very wet indeed after the show